I'm going to commit a uh, church Christmas party foul this morning, and I'm going to be preaching on more than the assigned text for this Sunday. So Matt's away. You all can tell on me when he gets back. Today's passage is listed as Isaiah 7, 10 through 17, and I actually want us to begin in verse 1 of chapter 7, so hopefully you all can bear with nine extra verses this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, you can also take a few Bible from the rack in front of you. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. While we might not be familiar with the whole chapter, certainly verse 14 of Isaiah 7 is familiar to us from the Christmas story, which we've already heard read this morning. Matthew tells us, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew tells us all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, namely the prophet Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we're familiar with Emmanuel from the Christmas story. We're also familiar with Emmanuel from all the churches that are named after Emmanuel. I think in Greenville we have an Emmanuel Baptist Church, we have an Emmanuel Church of God in Christ, an Emmanuel Lutheran, Emmanuel PCA, Emmanuel Worship Church, Emmanuel United Methodist, Emmanuel Bible Church. Mindy and I were members of an Emmanuel Baptist Church back in Louisville. They're everywhere. We're familiar with Emmanuel from the hymns we sing. We've sung one this morning. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Or who knows the one, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. But are we familiar with Emmanuel from Isaiah chapter 7? I would bet that what we're about to read this morning feels very foreign. What with names like Ahaz, the son of Jotham, Rezin, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, kings of Syria and Assyria, which I didn't even know those were two different nations, right? Isaiah 7 takes us back to a part of Israel's history that happened 700 years before Christmas. And yet... In this foreign context, we find a king and a people wrestling with a very familiar <coughs> issue. Something that feels all too familiar this Christmas in the 2022nd year of our Lord. Fear. This chapter is all about fear. So let's give our attention this morning to the reading of Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Amaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, 
Syria is in league with, it, with Ephraim. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Amalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Amalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within sixty-five years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Amalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah king of Assyria. Well, this morning's story recounts a meeting that took place between the prophet Isaiah and the then king of Judah, who goes by the name of Ahaz, at a place on the outskirts of the city of Jerusalem near the washer's field. The Lord sent Isaiah to this king to deliver a very brief, short message. Essentially, the Lord says to him, Be quiet. Do not fear. I know all the things that are swirling around, what you've heard in the news, what all of your men are reporting to you. Do not be afraid. What is it that Ahaz is afraid of? Well, you could imagine, if it would be like if... Um, if the northern, we, we know a little bit about this here in South Carolina. Imagine if the northern states took league with Canada and decided to invade the south. All right? That's basically what's going on here with King Ahaz. He's staring down the barrel of civil war as the two nations that directly border his kingdom to the north, Israel and Syria, have decided to invade, to invade Judah come into his capital city, kill him, and install a puppet king in his place. Verse 2. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim. Now, Ephraim is just another name for Israel. Okay? These two kingdoms are in league together. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook 
as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Ahaz, all of his people, terrified, afraid. The Lord's command to his king is quite simple. Silence your hearts. Do not be afraid. As hot as the anger of this king of Syria may seem, as fierce as the warriors in Israel may appear, they will come to nothing. As hot as they think they are, they're really nothing more than a couple of wet, chewed-up cigar stumps. That's what they are. So don't be afraid. All their plans to overthrow you and the nation of Judah will go up in smoke. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. When we chase this familiar prophecy, Isaiah 7, 14, of the virgin birth back to its source, we find a, a context that is so foreign and yet so familiar, a people terrorized by fear. place filled with trembling hearts, hearts billowed like trees in a hurricane. I wonder, what has your heart trembling this Christmas? My kids are wandering from the faith. My home life is a wreck. I just flunked several of my college classes. I don't think any of my friends like me. I think my marriage is falling apart. I've got a really scary doctor's appointment next week. Or maybe it's guilt over something that you've done. Shame over something you shouldn't have said. Fear drives us to do desperate things. We see that in the life of King Ahaz. Second Kings tells us that Ahaz sent messengers to the king of Assyria saying, I'm your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Assyria and from the king of Israel who are attacking me. And he, in fact, took the gold and the silver from the house of God and he gave it as a Christmas present to the king of Assyria saying, please come and save me. Fear drives us to desperate measures. Second Chronicles tells us that in the time of his distress, Ahaz grew yet more faithless to the Lord, this same King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, because the gods of the kings of Assyria helped them, I'll sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all Israel. Fear will drive us to insanity. Do you know the scriptures recount that Ahaz actually sacrificed his own son in the fire in hopes that maybe someone out there in the universe would listen and help him? Isaiah comes out to meet us this morning in the washer's field with a word from the Lord saying, be silent, 
Do not fear. I wonder in the silence of this moment what your answer would be if you ask your own heart, what am I so afraid of? Look inside yourself. Do you see a heart quivering and beating a mile a minute? Can you see the fear that you've allowed to just take up residence in your own heart? Fear of being insignificant, fear of temptation, fear of your circumstances, fear of failure, of being rejected, of falling short, fear of death. The first command the Lord has for us here in Isaiah 7 is quite simple. Be silent. You cannot hear the Lord's promises until first you silence your own heart. As long as you are talking, as long as fear is directing the tattoo of your heart, you cannot hear a word God has to say to you. Be silent. You may be sitting there comforting yourself this morning. I'm not afraid of anything. Understandable. The thing about fear, though, is that it really comes out in a lot of different ways. It doesn't always come out. It doesn't always present itself as something that looks like fear. When I'm afraid, it usually comes out in anger. When I'm in my home exploding at my wife and my children, chances are it's probably fear. For some of us, fear comes out in the form of grumbling. For others, fear looks like addiction to substances or food or to our phones or entertainment, Netflix. Sometimes fear comes out in paralyzing indecision or depression. Fear can sometimes look like fits of rage. Fear can even look like workaholism. The first step to conquering that fear is to do the hard work of being silent. Silencing our hearts. We have to make time and space in our lives to be silent before the Lord. He comes to us this morning and he says, To our hearts, peace. Be still. All the activity, the distractions, the emotions, the anger, the terror. Can you be silent for a moment? And trust, listen to what the Lord has to say. Verse 9 finishes. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And we know theoretically that that should be enough for us as Christians, right? Faith, that's the answer. Faith should be enough. Faith is what I need. I just need to believe. You know, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Except so often for me, that doesn't really settle it, does it? We feel like it should. We try to believe. We want to believe. We fall short. We, we just we 
just can't. We read God's promises and God, I don't know what's wrong with me, but my heart is silent and I look there and I look inside and I'm not finding faith. I'm finding doubt. I'm finding uncertainty, mistrust. And yes, theoretically, verse 9 should be enough. You just got to have faith. But verse 9 is not where the story ends, is it? Look at verse 10. Again. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz. When our faith is faltering, when God's promises are fading and our fears are rising, we have a God who comes again. Again. And again. And again. If God will come again to a man like Ahaz, a man so faithless, hard-hearted, and fickle as Ahaz, can you really doubt that he will not come again to you? And when the Lord comes again, does he chide? What's wrong with you? Why aren't you just living in faith? I said, you need to have faith. Why aren't you doing it? Was the promise of the eternal promise-keeping God not enough for you? No. He comes again. He comes to cowardly, stubborn, wicked Ahaz. He comes to him a second time. And what does he say in verse 11? Ask. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as the heavens. And that's our second command from the Lord this morning. Number one, be silent. Secondly, he says, ask. Ask for a sign. Yeah, but certainly the Lord says, you know, but within certain parameters, there's only certain, only certain things I'm willing to do for you, King Ahaz, right? What does he say there? The parameters are, let it be as deep as the bottom of Sheol or as high as the heavens. So, so basically God's saying, King Ahaz, you can ask any sign in the whole universe. Ask for anything and I will do it. Let's imagine for a minute that you had a, a scan at the oncologist and they found a mass that they were very concerned about. They haven't biopsied it yet, they can't confirm what it is, but you go home and immediately you're just thinking the worst case scenario. You're laying awake in bed and the Lord appears to you and he says, don't be afraid, I know they found something. It's not cancer, in fact, the next time you go back they won't even be able to find the mass. Next morning you wake up, you're kind of groggy, you're like, did that really happen? Did I really dream that? Was that a real thing? Is, is this really not cancer? And you're thinking through it, and you're like, I want to believe it, but it seems too good to be true. Next night comes, and the Lord comes again. And he says, ask anything as a sign, and I'll do it, so that you can know that I'm going to keep my promise. What would you ask? Well, certainly you would ask for something, right? Well, let's see what King Ahaz asks for. Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. 
Ahaz takes one out of our own playbook here in verse 12. Prayerlessness masquerading as piety. Prayerlessness masquerading as piety. I will not ask. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. See, the thing is, when the Lord commands you to ask, there is no humility in disobeying that command. This isn't an option. This is a, a command. Ask something of me so that I can confirm and strengthen your faith. I don't want to bother God with this. Whatever the Lord wills is right. I shouldn't trouble him with my prayers. Yes, that's exactly what Ahaz said. It is faithless not to ask God to keep his promises to us. Think about it for a second. Why would the infinite God even go to the trouble of making promises to finite creatures like you and me? He's going to do what he wants. Why does he need to promise beforehand what he's going to do? Because he needs our help? Because he really wants us on his team whenever he does this stuff? Just FYI, what, why is he doing this? The promises are meant to cause us to ask him to keep them. And that's why he's making promises to us. So that we'll say, God, will you just keep your promises, please? To plead with him according to his nature. A truth-telling God proves his trustworthiness by making promises and then keeping them. But so often we don't ask. We do everything else but ask God to strengthen our faith. We don't believe the Lord is the kind of God who wants us to trust Him, who wants us to know Him, who wants us to believe in Him. We, we really live in a world filled with people like King Ahaz, shaken to the core with fear, hearts whipped about like trees in a hurricane, terrified, scared, trapped by their circumstances, and the Lord comes along and says, I want to give you a sign, just ask of me. I want to give you my son who will put to death all of your enemies and set your hearts free from all fears. And the world says, thanks, but I'm good. Why? Honestly, I was trying to think this week and I could not come with, up with a logical answer for why. It makes no logical sense why. Why would King Ahaz say, thanks, but no thanks? Why do we? Is it because those other gods that you're serving are doing so well for you right now? Is it because your life plans are all just coming together real nicely and you don't need God's help, thank you very much? Is it because that guilt and shame and all the destruction that you've been wreaking in all the places where you seem to be found in your relationships and your family and your marriage and your workplace, you're all good shouldering that on your own? Ultimately, I think the reason that we don't ask is because of a misplaced pronoun in verse 11. Look at it again. Ask a sign of the Lord, your God. Isaiah is pinpointing the problem with King Isaiah right with that question. 
Ahaz does not ask a sign of the Lord because the Lord is not his God. That's why. He doesn't ask. He doesn't seek. He doesn't inquire and plead because the Lord is not his God. When God's children hear the command, ask from their Heavenly Father, guess what they do? They ask. Children of God this Christmas, in the dark of winter, at the end of this year, as faith is faltering, the Lord comes to you and he says, ask. Come plead with me. Come seek me. Inquire of me. If the Lord is your God, then this Christmas, won't you go and ask him to do whatever it takes to strengthen your faith? Whatever it takes, Lord, be it as low as Sheol or as high as heaven, do whatever it takes to help me cling on to you more tightly. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. James 1. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father Give good things to those who ask him. How many different ways can your God encourage you to ask before you'll just start doing it? If your faith is weak this Christmas, keep asking. Never stop asking God to keep his promises. This is the prayer that the Lord loves to hear. I believe. Help my unbelief. Number two, let us ask. Our final command follows right on the tail of Ahaz's prayerlessness. Look then at how the Lord responds in verse 13. And he said, here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you must <coughs> weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So in verse 13, we find the third and final command that the Lord has for King Ahaz and for us this morning. Hear then, or I would prefer to use a more Christmassy uh, command this morning. Hearken. Hearken. Listen. To the sign. And what is the sign? It's Christmas. The sign is Christmas. 
Now Ahaz is telling faithless, uh, Isaiah is telling faithless Ahaz the Christmas story in the future tense, isn't he? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. How much more shall we hearken now that we get to recount the Christmas story in the past tense? The sign has come. The son has been born. Emmanuel has come, and not only that, has died and has been raised again to save his people, not from King Rezin or King Pekah, but to save his people from their sins. Will you and I now, now hearken to this son? And if you have now heard the story, why are you and I still so afraid? Your enemies are dead. The serpent who you fear has been defanged. The wrath of God heavier than the wrath of King Assyria, which, if you continue to read this chapter, is quite terrifying. The wrath of God itself has fallen on Emmanuel. Jesus has come to be God with us so that he might suffer under the wrath of God for us. When we hearken to the Christmas story, this is what we hear. Promises. Kept. Promise kept. You were afraid, and you asked, and I, your God and Savior, have come to be with you, just as I promised. <coughs> what does a hearkened life look like for you this Christmas? Well, means living as though God's promises have already been kept. Living as though God's promises are as good as kept because they are. <coughs> I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that the context here takes us back 700 years before Christmas came. God makes this promise. And God kept making promise after promise after promise, and it seemed for years and years and years, those promises kept going unkept, 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 until Christmas. And all of a sudden, they were all kept in an instant. Brothers and sisters, this should be instructive for us in this Advent season. What feels like unkept promises are really encouragements for you and I to cry out, come, Lord Jesus. He is the promise kept. And as long as we continue to wait on his return, we wait for promises kept eternal. He is the child of promise. So when the Lord our God says, ask, what is he encouraging us ultimately to ask for? Well, Isaiah 7 shows us that God cannot keep his promises without being here with us. Emmanuel, God with us, is what has been promised. This is what he's been encouraging us to pray for, ask, and for what? Peace, prosperity, and end to injustice, and pain, and fruitless endeavors, and strife, and war, and hatred, temptation, and sin? Yes. It is not wrong for you to long for all of these things, for health, for prosperity, for glory, for X, Y, and Z. It is wrong for you to look for those things apart from the divine presence of God. That was King Ahaz's problem. 
He was seeking satisfaction, protection, salvation, and glory under every tree and at every altar and at the feet of every other God and the God of Israel. In all of your asking and all of your seeking and all of your hearkening, this is what our hearts are ultimately searching for. The second advent. The return of our Emmanuel. So what is the point of Isaiah 7 this morning? You don't need the king of Assyria like King Ahaz thought he did. You need Emmanuel. You don't need some politician or powerful person to be in your corner. You need the Christ child. You don't need a bigger house, a better job, better circumstances or salary or more respect at work. You need a king who is God with us. You don't need a made-up list of do's and don'ts so that you can tally off and make sure that you have a good record of self-righteousness to help you alleviate the shame and the guilt you experience in your life. You need Jesus. And so when the winter of fear and doubt blows like a chilling wind over your heart, be silent. Ask. And then hearken for his return. Emmanuel has come. He will come again. As we close, I want us to sing our opening hymn as a prayer. So if you have the words memorized, you can sing them from memory or you can turn to the first page. Let's sing the first verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel as our closing prayer this morning. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Rejoice, rejoice, he 